It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun, though. I am David Schellenberg, along with Rachel Oyster, the co-chairs for Democrats Abroad here in Canada's capital region in Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hi, David. A whole lot of fun, though. Yes, well, you know, it's, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Well, you and I enjoy ourselves. Hopefully our <laughs> listeners enjoy, enjoy it at the same time. Uh, yeah, so what's on the show today, Rachel? So today we are still um, touring for lack of a better word, our executive committee, the governing body of Democrats Abroad globally. We have now uh, concluded interviews with the five elected officers. And today, although you can listen to this in any order, we embark... We embark upon the first interview with one of our regional vice chairs. We'll have to explain Democrats Abroad's complicated um, governing structure. But today we welcome Nicholas Gordon. Hello, Nicholas. Hi, good morning or good evening, depending on where you are. Uh, One for you, uh, the other for us. That's right. That's right. Depending on people listen to it, it could be Monday, it could be Friday, it could be Saturday. That's true. (laughs) Welcome, everybody. Yeah. So, Nicholas, you were not too long ago elected regional vice chair of our Asia Pacific region. So, we want to hear all about that, but before we get there, we should probably ask you our standard questions. Mm. <laughs> it's a while since we've done an episode, so we're a little rusty here. What state do you vote out of? Where do you live now? And what took or keeps you there? So I vote in the great state of Massachusetts. Um, it's Commonwealth. <laughs> I vote out of Massachusetts too. It's a commonwealth. <laughs> True. Well, this well, well this is Sorry. where well this is where I get to I get to I get to pull uh, some of my background here. That's where my family's from, um, and members of my family still live there. Uh, but I've actually been American overseas uh, pretty much my entire life. Wow. Um, I was born overseas. Um, I currently live and work in Hong Kong. Um, it's where I was born. It's where I grew up. Um, uh, then, of course, I went to the back to the United States for for school, and then after school, uh, went off to grad school and came back to Hong Kong for work. Um, so, in in one sense, you know, I I am from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, mm-hmm. It's where I vote. I vote out of. Uh, I think I still vote out of my uh, college dorm room in in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's your uh, address. That's right. That's right. I still vote out of my. I still vote out of my. Out of my uh, campus mailbox. Um, <laughs> Is there but, still a bottle uh, of vodka in the freezer there? <laughs> oh no, I, I was a, I was a, I was a rum kid. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, but I've actually been an American overseas for the the vast majority of my life. Um, right. It's so interesting, you know. It 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 gives you a a. It gives you a different perspective on the United States and on American issues when you are, let's say, when 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 the number of Americans you you meet on a day to day basis are probably could be counted on one hand. Um, I was the only American in my school growing up for a long time, so yeah, I, I was. It's, it gives you a different perspective on on the United States, on its place in the world, um, on its politics when you're kind of the only when, when you're kind of the only American or one of the few Americans that that you experience growing up. Absolutely. I, I got I to ask, though, like a good perspective or a bad perspective? Well, it was during the Bush year, so I'll let you uh, <laughs> figure that out for yourself. Well, historically, we sort of look back on that now and think that wasn't as bad as it could have been. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, it laid the seeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that's, that is fascinating. And in fact, um, David shares some of that with you, having been born in the U.S., but coming back as a tiny child yes yes because i was born in iowa because my parents are going to university there but 
they, my parents are Canadian, so I came back to Canada when I was three years old and really have never lived in the United States significantly in any way whatsoever. And it always feels just a little bit weird that I can be involved in U.S. politics. But our experience in Canada is very different from yours because in Canada, Americans blend in. So we may or may not have American acquaintances in our circle of Canadian friends. And unless we actually ask the question, we may never know. Right, right. So I imagine that's very different from your experience. So are you lonely, Nicholas, is what Rachel's <laughs> trying to ask you, I think. No. Well, actually, I mean, being, being, being part of DA is, is in Hong Kong has definitely connected me with the American community, um, both actual members, also just, just other members of the American community, especially last year. It was last year with the um, right the election. We did a lot of GOTV work, a lot of voter assistance work. Um, this this was before I became RBC. This was just when I was um, chair of Dems Abroad Hong Kong. Um, but yes, we did we a lot of outreach with with various um, institutions for the American community here. Um, although it's interesting, I mean, not to not to pontificate about uh, say expat communities in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, Americans in Hong Kong are actually that I don't want to say organized, but it's more like um, what is it? Uh, the French community here is extremely organized. They have restaurants that are only for French people that serve the French community. Hmm. Uh, the Brits are the same. Um, the Americans, not so much, funnily enough. The Americans seem to be more dispersed and uh, intermingled with the rest of the expat community. That's very interesting. So what attracted you to Democrats Abroad? Or, or how did you find out about it? And where did your journey with our organization begin? So it began in... 2016, um, and I can't remember exactly uh, what I stumbled upon that that led me to Democrats Abroad, uh, but basically I discovered there was a primary, um, mm-hmm. and I went to the primary. Uh, it was held at the Tipping Points Bar at Wyndham Street, uh, just off of Lang Kwai Fong, and uh, the bar has since closed down, mm-hmm. um, but it was... <laughs> but it was but it was a primary, you know, I went, I cast my ballot. I it was interesting. Obviously I joined Democrats abroad from casting my ballot. Um, and then I went to one meeting. Uh, and I think after that one meeting, I got a note from the then chair saying, do you want to be our media relations officer? And I said, sure, why not? Um, uh, and, and that, and that's why I got started. So I, so, so I've been part of the organization since, since 2016. Uh, I became vice chair of, uh, DA Hong Kong in, uh oh man in 2019 yes 2019 uh i became chair in 2020 oh, i've got the dates wrong there <laughs> I'm, 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 i might be it's... off by oh, I'm, I'm off by a year i became vice chair in 2018 uh chair in 2019 and then um or well whatever around that time period <laughs> regardless it's a meteoric rise yes you you were chair by 2020 in other words Yes, that that yes, I think I think I was elected as chair in, in twenty in four years that, after you joined. That's incredible. So you're you're in Hong Kong because you found a job. Is that how you ended up in Hong Kong? Well, I mean, as I said, I'm first of all, yes, the 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 job was here. The job I came across after graduate school was here, um, so I moved back. But also, again, like as I said, I'm from here. I'm from Hong Kong. Right. Um, it's where I was born. It's where I grew up. My parents are still here. Um, my my friends were here, and so that's why I, or or that's what it's home helped ease me back into. Right. Um, sure. Let's say I- let's say. Into, into the world of work after uh, graduate school. And made um, that job more attractive, presumably. It could take you right back. Well, it didn't hurt. 
Yeah. <laughs> I would have been, I would have been, I would have been more than happy to have um, moved to the States if the job was there. Um, would have happy moving somewhere else if the job, if, if the job was there. Um, but the best job available was in Hong Kong. And so I moved to Hong Kong and you moved back to Hong Kong, I should say. Yeah. And your parents are, are American. Uh, my father's American. Right. And he, so he was, what was he doing in Hong Kong? This is where the gossip oh, gets he, good. He, <laughs> he moved out here in the mid eighties while working for Wang computers. Ah, um, I remember that's Wang. a name that people remember. Yeah. Oh, I do. Um, so he was, he, he was working for Wang for a bit. Um, and then, uh, he just stuck around. And so he's just stuck around for since the mid eighties, basically. Wow. Met your mom. Yep. And, uh, and, and yeah. And, and, and they're, and they're, they, so yeah, so they, they, they've been here for ages. I mean, he's, um, he's gotten comfortable here. Um, he likes living in Hong Kong. So. Right. Well, part of where I'm going with this is, is as we talk <laughs> to people around the world and try to figure out why they're in the corners of the world that they are in, love seems to be the main reason as to, to why you are there. Mm-hmm. Work and school come in a close set second, but mm-hmm. there is an incredible network of love around the globe. And yeah, your dad moved to Hong Kong for work and fell in love and never left. And, and <laughs> the rest is history. But you're making up the story, David. Nicholas didn't actually say I that. know he didn't say that. That's what I said. This is when the gossip gets good. <laughs> That's right. So let's talk about regional vice chairs. Mm-hmm. When, at what point did you tune into the fact that there was a regional level of Democrats abroad, which seems in some ways the most mysterious to me- to just the average member. I was brought on as a deputy regional vice chair. Now that I'm talking through this, the, the timeline is getting clear ah. when everything happened. Uh-huh. So I, I, I was brought on as a, as a deputy in 2020. Um, so then the chair was a year before this. Um, but yeah, I was brought on as a, as a regional vice a deputy in 2020. Um, I think that that was my first step in getting more involved in regional work and in supporting the then RVC Catholician, um, working with other deputies, uh, reaching out to other um, committees throughout the throughout the region. Um, and then and then when it was time to elect a new RVC, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was asked to I was asked to consider running and I said, sure. <laughs> and, then, and then and then and then I, you know, put my put my name forward and then and then ran for the position. Next um, stop, global chair. <laughs> oh, I heard that sigh. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I, that's that's bad vocal discipline on my part. Sorry. I, um, it's perfect no, podcast, though. Yes. No, no, it's also better you no, than us. No, no comment on any future plans of any kind. <laughs> We're just teasing. But can you for I mean, we've uh, in a few of the episodes we've gotten into this, but can you explain for the listeners what the regional level is in Democrats abroad? So. As you know, Democrats abroad is split into into three regions. Um, there's Asia Pacific, uh, which I'll get to the geographical bounds of that in a bit. Um, then there's EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And then there are the Americas. There are a few kind of internal, I think, bureaucratic reasons um, for the region. Um, sometimes, you know, you want to make sure that uh, there's adequate representation from all three regions at a meeting or on a committee or the XCOM. Um, it determines things like uh, where delegates in the in the presidential selection process that DAs involved in come through. Mm-hmm. So the regions will have their own conventions, they'll have their own delegates, they'll have their own platform, which then goes to the, which then influences the global platform and so on and so on. So the region is is a, 
you know, in, in one sense, it's a it's an internal um, classification, you could call it. You're going to help with some bureaucratic stuff, help with kind of representation stuff. Um, but it's also true that, you know, we are uh, regions are close together in terms of in terms of time zones, in terms of uh, ease of travel, in terms of I, you, maybe not cultural experience, but at least there's some there's some um, shared histories there. Uh, and so it makes sense to kind of group these uh, to kind of group these various committees together, at least in kind of these these regional blocks. And the RVC kind of just helps to manage that. Um, we're on call to kind of help support regional initiatives when when committees need help, um, support in terms of operational stuff or people management stuff, whatever. We're here to help and we're here to help support that. Um, we also try to encourage growth of DA in the region. Um, working with uh, members that are not part of organized committees, maybe helping to and supporting the launch of new committees. So essentially, you know, the RBC's job is to, again, support the growth of DA in the region. Um, just a quick note on, on let's say, geographical boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asia Pacific is um, a large region. It's a large <laughs> region uh, in terms of geography. I think our remit extends from the Pacific Islands, I think, all the way to South Asia. Um, and potentially also, I think I think there was a there was an internal fight about about where about where these countries counted as, but I think we decided mm-hmm. that 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 Central Asia counts as Asia Pacific. Mm. So it's a very large, it's, it's a very large geographical area, which of course leads to some challenges when it comes to kind of getting everyone um, on a call at the same time, it's a lot of different time zones. Um, uh, but you know, it's a, it's a challenge, but what we do, what we can. Yeah. So what do you bring, what sorts of, um, issues related to the Asia Pacific region do you bring to the XCOM table? Well, I think currently the, the thing that's on everyone's mind here in Asia, I mean, apart from, you know, ensuring that there's enough representation from Asia Pacific on global teams, on committees, uh, at meetings. So, you know, a lot of back and forth about, about, about what time meetings are held. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, a That's lot of the back number and... one issue <laughs> for every member of any I know, leadership. I know. <laughs> um, also in terms of, you know, just making sure that we have, um, that, that, that there's enough kind of resources available to us in Asia Pacific. Um, we are a different beast, I think, than, than EMEA. I think there's a lot more, um, diversity in terms of conditions on the ground, in terms of um, mm. the populations we're kind of dealing with. Um, there's probably, let's say, greater populations of, you can call them secret Americans here, that, that mm-hmm. than perhaps in other regions, um, people who uh, are American, but for whatever reason, don't engage with the United States that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding ways to capture those populations, whether it's different outreach, different um, being in different places, even just having materials in different languages, that's a thing that that's on that's definitely on the mind of um, those doing GOTV work in AP. Um, it's on my mind, and that's a thing we're kind of it, that that's the thing that would be brought up to the XCOM. And finally, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's it's a point that everyone's kind of dealing with, but AP has its own particular um, thoughts about this. Uh, is talking about COVID, and um, you know, I think how. Uh, members here in Asia Pacific are kind of dealing with the uh, with the COVID pandemic. Obviously, I think uh, travel restrictions in Asia Pacific are quite are quite strict. Um, you know that obviously has implications for members and for leaders um, if mm-hmm. they try to kind of live their lives overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and so kind of 
working through a lot of those issues and kind of figuring out what, what the implications of those are, especially compared to the other regions, is also something that's kind of on my mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you talk about um, hidden Americans. We we tend to find that in, in Canada as well. Like uh, pe- people have come from the United States to Canada, sometimes to hide, and other times are, are quite frankly embarrassed to declare themselves as a citizen of the United States. Is is that what you find in Hong Kong as well? I wouldn't say they're embarrassed, but I, I just more like to think they, they just don't think about it. Right. Um, the passport's in their, in their desk drawer, and they have it because they have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a thing that, that, that guides their, their thinking. And, and you can kind of understand why, I mean, if you're, if you've been away from the United States for, for several decades, yeah. um, you're just not going to be experiencing a lot of the American issues through, you know, regular osmosis that you might normally, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, in some ways, I think even, even among Americans, I think my, my family was, was more in tune with what, what was going on politically in the United States and maybe other Americans that came across who were just more focused on I'm here doing business. It's not something I think about. Um, I think that's been different the last four years. I think it's been pretty hard to be American and not come across us news us news will make the front page of foreign newspapers mm-hmm. um, in a way that i think hadn't before and may not in the future yeah. um but again i think i think for for the quote-unquote secret americans that are out here i think it's just more like this just not it's just it's just not a thing that's very top of mind for them i think mm-hmm. it's not um it's just not a thing that affects how they live their lives so in the end they kind of gets put in a desk it gets put in a desk drawer do you find sometimes they don't even know that they can vote? Oh, that, oh yeah, that, that, that definitely pops up a lot. I mean, the idea that, um, that you can vote from overseas and in the process from voting from overseas. I mean, I'll, I'll admit myself, I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not vote in the midterms in 2014 mm-hmm. when I was in graduate school in the, in the United Kingdom. Um, and I can't remember exactly why I'm sure if I'd done the research, I could have, figured out that I could have done it. Um, but it was just a, a combination of not knowing about it and it not being top of mind where it's like, oh, the elections are happening. That's interesting. Now to get back to my graduate studies. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wasn't until, again, I, I, I stumbled across um, something, might have been on Facebook, that said you can vote in the primary. Um, that made me go, oh, right, okay. Um, I guess I should do that. Not only can you, but you can do it in person if there's a... If you live near somewhere where Democrats abroad is holding an in-person poll. So I, mm-hmm. I think that's what you said you did so that I can see why that would be particularly attractive. But you were making me wonder, um, and I feel like I should know the answer to this, but DA as a whole experienced tremendous growth leading up to the election. Was the growth in AP on the same pace as the other regions? I don't actually have the numbers for that. We, we Asia yeah. Pacific did Asia Pacific did grow, mm-hmm. um, certainly compared to previous um, yeah. election cycles. Sorry, the 2020 election, and in fact, the whole Trump administration period was was a great. Um, well, I say great. Sorry, I mean was a was mm-hmm. a really really helped motivate. I think um, Americans living overseas um, to be engaged with U.S. politics in a way that they hadn't done in the past. You know, even even on off years where you think you normally you hear about everyone going to sleep during off years. So 2017, 2019, uh, we still had good turnout at our events. Um, you know, people were interested in, in us politics and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think age Pacific 
as a whole, I think experienced growth, whether or not we had the same growth as other regions, I don't have the numbers for that. Um, or more. I mean, I feel like I should know that too, but it's something I didn't think to look at. I get, I get the feeling EMEA probably had the most growth out of mm-hmm. the three, but I'm make, could I could be. be making that up. Yeah, I have no idea. Could be. And yet I was just looking at the DNC, um, an email came from the DNC yesterday, I think, uh, which noted that the census shows that the Asian population in the U.S. is the fastest growing group right now, which I thought was really interesting. It is. And I think it's it's a the Asian American community as a political force. I think we still don't quite know what all the political ramifications of that will be, but, but, no. it, but it's clearly growing and it's clearly yeah. it's clearly made an impact in some critical uh, races across across the country. I was part of the group that helped launch the Asian American Pacific Islander Caucus, although uh, others on the committee, I think, did, did far more work than me in establishing, <laughs> establishing it and keeping it running. Um, but it's but it's a but the Asian but the Asian American community or sorry the API community um, again that's that's clearly growing as a political force. Absolutely, and I think we're we're still kind of learning what the impacts of that will be. Um, but of and the course, community, I mean, as, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I say, but but and, and of course, um, I think as a, as everyone knows, everyone talk about API. I mean, that's is in itself a diverse community, and obviously that's something that comes through a lot in in being Asia Pacific, which is again, it's a we're a we're a region that covers the Pacific Islands, um, East Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, South Asia, Central Asia. That's a there's a lot of people in the Asian American Pacific Islander bucket, a lot of different groups, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different cultures, um, yeah. cultures and priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When you look across your group, uh, Asia Pacific, do you find that there are some states that are particularly more represented in Asia Pacific? And I'm, I guess I'm specifically wondering if, is the Western side of the United States the ones that you tend to encounter, or do you find it's kind of evenly split across your region? That's a good question. I mean, I think as with every region and every committee, obviously New York and California feature heavily as they do, I think, in most committees in most right. regions. I guess the follow up to that is sort of does that then affect the issues that are of uh, importance to people in Asia Pacific? The short answer is probably not. I mean, the, the issues that are important to Americans in Asia Pacific are the issues that are important to, I think, Americans right. all over, all over the world over, or overseas Americans all over the world. Um, the same issues that motivate them, uh, motivate American Asia Pacific. Because also don't forget, I mean, it's still a, there are a lot of expat Americans in Asia Pacific um, for whatever reason, they're here for business or they moved here and they've settled down here. Um, I think, I think we're, 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 there's definitely growth, I think, and potential growth in, um, in people with a different kind of background, but it's still, you know, it's, it's still a lot of people that are coming from the U S. Um, so they're still have the same, they have the yep. same yep. Yep. view on these issues as, you know, I think overseas Americans and EMEA and the Americas do. I think, I think one of the, one of the, the challenges, and again, this is a challenge that, that that's common to all three regions is, um, it's the whole, like I live in California or I live in New York um does my vote my I, my vote doesn't matter so why should i bother especially mm-hmm. because new york has a particularly obtuse set of regulations oh exactly <laughs> yeah. walking people through the new york how to fill a new york ballot was it took up 
there were a lot of questions on it basically and there's like origami folding of it and if you're going to mail it or something exactly 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 (laughs) so so but again i think i think i think last year uh definitely people who were from from your safer states were still interested in casting their ballot taking part because obviously you no, know, it was it was, an, it was it was an important election. They saw it as an important election. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what's your experience been like as regional vice chair to date? Was has there been anything particularly fun or engaging or challenging? Well, it's 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 been a bit of a of a of a hectic start. Um, mm. You know, I think with the with the August global meeting, uh, definitely kind of running around doing a lot lot of prep for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing I will note is that is that I am extremely fortunate and well served by the committee of leaders we have in Asia Pacific, um, who are active, who have lots of new ideas, um, who are constantly putting new events together, new initiatives together. And uh, in some ways, it's me, it's me rushing to keep up with the things they're doing um, and making sure that they get the support and advertisement that they get and uh, helping to build on those initiatives and making sure that they are a success. I feel extremely fortunate with the body of leaders we have in Asia Pacific. Uh, they're putting together um, events, webinars, uh, training sessions, collaborations on design and GOTV work. They're taking a lot of initiative, and I'm and I'm sometimes feel like I'm running to catch up with what they're doing, and so I can give them to, so, I, so I can continue to give them the greater support they need. That's wonderful, mm-hmm. but I want to reassure you by telling you that we have heard exactly the same thing from other leaders. So that's kind of marvelous that that there are so many people in DA who are so active and so creative and so engaged that the leaders are just running after going, wait for me. I love it. How can I help? <laughs> so living in Hong Kong, when I'm just curious about life in Hong Kong for a little bit, when when you meet a person, a new co-worker, a new friend, and you sort of reveal that, that you're a U.S. citizen and, and they are born and raised in 100% a, a Hong Kong citizen, which is a complicated concept that is for another conversation. Um, <laughs> h- how do they look at you? Do they look at you in awe or are they suddenly... Um, <laughs> Superpowers? Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I don't... People overseas kind of get the... Get 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 the U.S. news kind of filtered through various mechanisms, right? right so, right, um, it's what pops up on on foreign media. It's what pops up through social media. Um, so, obviously, I mean, there are there are there are always misconceptions. There are always um, they they get a different view of kind of maybe how they think things work in the United States. Um, but but you just kind of you talk about and you kind of say, actually, this is, this is how it works. This is how things happen. This, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, they're not alone in that. I mean, <laughs> I think we can probably guess that Americans in the United States probably have their own misconceptions about how <laughs> other places in the world work. Yes. Um, yes. I think, I think we're, we're all very aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if they have, if they, if they have any conceptions at all, which I think is, I mean, I, frankly, it's fair. I mean, if you live in, if you live far away from any foreign country, why would you really expect them to know what's going on right. um, elsewhere in the world? So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a topic of conversation. I think it was, it was obviously, I think over the last four years, I think as, as American issues were much more on the front page, I think globally than they might be right now. Mm. Um, you know, I think there were more of those questions, kind of more of those, Hey, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's again, people, people kind of come across what glean, what, what nuggets of information they have and they, right. mm-hmm. and just have to kind of build, build out from that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like the, the story of Donald Trump 
in in that part of the world is he uh looked upon as as an embarrassment as a buffoon as uh, brilliant it's complicated maybe i'll <laughs> leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> What about the concept of voting from abroad? Is that a familiar one? Well, I mean, for most people, it's bigger than most ordinary people, wherever they're American or not. I mean, it's 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 not a thing they really think about, I think. Right. I mean, people who travel at all, let alone people who are expats, are such a small sliver of yeah. um, mm. populations. That, That's true. Um, it's, just, it's just not a thing they really think about. I mean, but of course, we're not the only country that does this. I mean, France, no. um, I think, has pre- was it? France has representatives specifically for overseas French people. Um, yes, their, so it's not, their, their parliament or their legislature or whatever yeah, it is. They, the, they actually the one thing that I think really, really gets, and this isn't for, for anyone that has any conception of overseas voting, so other expats, of course, um, the thing that always strikes them is, uh, is that our system seems more complicated. <laughs> um, they just say, I just go to the consulate and cast my ballot. It's great. It's, um, <laughs> I can't uh, imagine like, why well, ours looks complicated. <laughs> and we're like, well, that doesn't really work for us because <laughs> we have this whole like federal system and whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and and they're like, sounds complicated. I'm like, it sure is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in terms of overseas voting, I mean, again, for the expats that, that are aware of it, they definitely it feels i think they say their system is a lot simpler because again they just go to the consulate and cast their ballot which is easier for them to do because whatever the the way their countries are set up mm-hmm. then again i don't even know how many people actually bother to go through with it you know mm-hmm. and that's the other thing too is that mm-hmm. um i mean i have no data on what turnout for overseas french voting is like so i can't mm-hmm. um but it's the kind of thing you talk to them and they're like oh yeah i, I can vote i should probably vote and then a week later they're like i forgot to vote but Oh, yes. that happens. Yes, that happens. It did not happen, but it happens. Something that's unique to regional vice chairs as a leader, you mentioned before, is that you work with people who aren't actually in a country committee. So how do you have a sense of how many people you have in the region who fit into that category and maybe how spread out they are or how many countries they're in? Well, I think... It- I think we are we are looking at where the possibilities for for growth of the region are um, mm-hmm. in terms of non-CCs, in terms of the new transnational committees that were passed at the global mm-hmm. meeting in August. Right. And new I mean, country committees. Exactly. Um, and yeah. so, I mean, we clearly have non-CC members in places that are basically countries that are probably too small to support an organized committee of their own. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the archetypical example are the Pacific Islands, um, which are small. They're spread out. Uh, probably can't have a a a organized committee for one of those countries, but you could for a group of them. Uh-huh. Um, perhaps same with Central Asia. You know, the American communities in these in these places are small. Probably very, very, very focused on. Um, work and expat business um they're in and out so tough to build a community around that so again Mm -hmm. kind of maybe that's an opportunity for for a transnational Mm -hmm. um, for a transnational committee um but again you know it's a it's a it's a diverse region with a lot of different um living conditions working conditions and uh which 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 might help explain why there aren't why there may not be a organized committee in that particular place and so Mm-hmm. Now we have these other options to kind of mm-hmm. 
uh, allow them to be to be represented and allow them to organize, even if wherever they are isn't quite suitable for uh, a fully organized committee. Awesome. That's great. Not suitable. What do you mean by not suitable? Not enough people right. or the community is very transient or they're just very spread out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how clusters just sort of appear in different places. But as we've discovered in the last year and a half, doing so much more online, that makes a lot of, I mean, obviously it makes connecting possible across great distances. Mm-hmm. It is. And and it's definitely been, I think a lot of us have gotten far more used to kind of doing a lot of things, doing a lot of these things online. Of course, with, with Asia Pacific, I mean, we've been doing, we, we, we've had to do online stuff for regional work for um, a long time. Yeah. Um, like there's, um, uh, for example, EMEA, I know EMEA has in-person, an in-person regional meeting. Um, imagine, imagine. I know, I know. We can't exactly. picture that in the Americas either. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's like, we it's can't like, even I picture can't, that in Canada. I, no. It's like, I can't, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I can't ask. I can't ask members that live in New Zealand and India to fly to. Also, where would we even host it? All the places we could host it are extremely expensive. <laughs> we haven't got like it's like it's like the, any any kind of any kind of hub that we could host a in-person regional meeting at would break everyone's budget. So not happening. So we need we, to we, take we, over an uninhabited Pacific Island. I think is your only option. <laughs> So, um, so, 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 so we've been, we, 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 we're used to doing all of our, um, regional work online anyway. So in some ways having to switch to, um, online stuff for global meetings and stuff, we were kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is how we ran our convention, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's until we get to the fight about what time the meeting will be held. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, it's, 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 it's obviously something that's on people's mind and, you know, I, I'm. Let's say contractually obligated to 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 fight for my corner when it comes to that. Absolutely, um, but uh, <laughs> but it does seem like I think there's it's it's there's a greater sense of um, of of kind of being balanced about it um, and kind of you know being accommodating for people in, in different places. I mean, Absolutely. again, like Asia Pacific, we cover so many time zones ourselves, mm-hmm. um, like stretching from Fiji all the way to India. And that's it's it's hard to find a time that works for all of us there, let alone globally. Yeah. So I I understand the the issues around that. And I think I think I think it's getting I think it's getting better. I mean, there's still some things we can kind of talk through and work out. But the trend for me is the 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 trend for me is is positive when it comes to kind of sharing sharing the burden, as it were. Absolutely, yeah. We have seen that. And hey, it's a it's a it's a it's 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 a tough problem to solve. It's um, so you know. Yep. By definition. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. This has been great. No, thank thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Our pleasure. <laughs> so I am Rachel Oyster in Ottawa, Canada, with David Schellenberg. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe. Mm-hmm.